All right, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, you can open up to Revelation chapter 12. You know, we've been in this book of Revelation for several weeks now, so some of you are probably, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, aware of a little bit of the background story that these words were written by the Apostle John, uh, John that in the Bible is called the disciple whom Jesus loved, very, very close to Jesus. And that he is late in life, a very old man in his 80s, perhaps even 90s, imprisoned on an island, a prison island called Patmos, a, a rocky, barren patch of soil in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And, and from there, God gives him a comforting and hope-filled vision. For himself, obviously, he needed that. But God also gave him this message for the churches of his day who are feeling maybe a little bit like we sometimes feel as Christians that we're more and more isolated in the world, that we're more and more pushed out from the mainstream of society, and, and that, and in John's day this is very much true, and that they were persecuted because of their Christian faith. Now, some of their wounds were self-inflicted, as you see if you read the seven letters to the churches in Revelation early on. We'll come back to those a little bit later in this series. But much of what they were experiencing was because of an unbelieving world on attack against Christianity. And so these words can very much... Uh, be a, a little patch of hope and peace and comfort for us too as we begin to face greater and greater isolation from the mainstream of our culture. And so we're going to be reading Revelation chapter 12 and the first 12 verses there. It's in your program. Here's what it says. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the women of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. 
For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So I want to start with something that's common to all of us who uh, live in the metro area. And I want to put a picture of something up and ask you how you feel about this. Do you know what that is? That's a station for the L. The blue line, to be specific. You could see if you kind of squint a little bit that it's going to O'Hare. Now, Julie and I commonly use this to get to the airport when we have to travel somewhere. Last week, we, we went to Quito. Fortunately, we didn't have to use it last week because we drove our truck and parked it for a few days. But we almost always use the L train to get to O'Hare and back. How do you feel about it? Do you, when you see a picture of that, for example, feel safe? Do you like to go on the train because it's convenient? That's why Julie and I like to use it because it's so convenient. We, we get on the line that's just a few blocks from our front door in New Lenox at the New Lenox station. That's not yet the L. It's the train that goes into Chicago. And then we catch the L from there. How should you feel about it? Well, let me read you a story that I found. And more and more, we're, we're hearing stories like this. This is a pretty recent story. A search continued Friday night for two men who stabbed three CTA riders on the Red Line subway downtown. Have you guys, raise your hand if you've heard stories like this. As CBS 2's Germont Terry reported, the attack highlights a growing problem with crime on the Chicago Transit Authority. Just imagine standing on a platform waiting for an L train, just like that, and someone tries robbing you. In one case around 9 p.m., that was exactly what happened to one man. He was standing on a plat platform at the Chicago Red Line stop with two men with a knife uh, who demanded his backpack and watch. The victim handed over his items, but he was still stabbed in the ear. Sorry for tender little ears. Police said the attackers also stabbed two other people as they fled from the scene. And what played out is happening more often as crime on the CTA is at a six-year high. This is just one example of the world that we're living in. Read the newspapers very often and you'll hear about 12-year-old little girls riding in the back of a car who get hurt from a random gunshot. Read about international news and you'll read about a horrific war in Ukraine. We're, we're living, in other words, in a violent world. 
that's just our reality. Re records were set in the last couple of years with people who for the first time were arming themselves with private guns so they could protect themselves. And do you know what the number one adjective that goes with the noun violence is if you read about violence in today's world? Can you guess what the number one word is used to describe violence? Senseless. When you read about violence, you will often hear the word senseless violence, those two words put together. And, and here's why I'm, I'm starting the sermon on such a kind of a down note, a tough note, is that I believe in today's world, even we as Christians sometimes try to connect this in our heads and, and try to see, is there some reason or logic or some cause that creates this effect? And you'll hear all kinds of people offering up uh, suggestions of why this violence exists now more than ever. And you'll also hear that very common adjective, which means people have kind of given up. I don't know why it exists. It's completely illogical, unreasonable, and senseless. Part of the reason we Christians can have a little bit light of light into this argument is that we don't confine our views only to what's going on in this world, in this material world, in this life that we can see and touch and taste and hear. We know that there's something greater going on. We know that there is a bigger conflict, a, a, a bigger realm of violence that is in the spiritual realm, not in this physical world that's going on, and that we as Christians are affected by it. Now, God came to John, the apostle, on that island of Patmos to remind him that it wasn't just earthly causes behind his imprisonment that there were things going on that needed to be shown to him that would help him see why Christians were persecuted, Christians were isolated, having their property taken from them, sometimes being imprisoned just like John, sometimes losing their lives in persecution for the sake of Christ. And God comes to show John through these visions that are somewhat hard to understand. They need an explanation. Maybe even if I was, as I was reading what I read this morning, there were parts of that you said, huh? Who's that woman? Who's that child? And that's what we're going to do this morning very briefly, is go through this and explain this description in Revelation chapter 12 that reminds us this is not the only place of violence. This is not the only place of war and battles happening. That there's also a war in heaven that affects life here. These two dimensions, heaven and earth, 
have an impact on one another, but one that we don't ordinarily see unless God draws back the veil and gives us a peek into it, but one that's also super helpful to help us understand what to expect life to be like. There's nothing worse in life than getting a big negative other than getting a big negative into your day with it being completely unexpected, being a complete surprise. That's not what God wanted for the Apostle John, for the churches of his day that he was responsible for, and for you and for me today, that we get caught off guard by the attacks of Satan from the other world. So, here's where I want to start. I think it's going to be helpful if we just identify the cast of characters in Revelation chapter 12. So if you want to do a little bit of writing, uh, you can just start with the characters involved in the war in heaven. So who are these people? As you read through, you, you find almost that you're introduced to a new character every two verses, every other verse, in verse 1, in verse 3, in verse 5, in verse 7. So let's just go through them. I, I kind of bunch them together in a, a single reading. First of all, in, in verse 1, we're introduced to a woman clothed with the sun. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Who's this woman? Well, we get a tip from the symbolism that she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. And anytime you see that number 12, especially in a book like the book of Revelation, you can almost always rest assured that he's talking about the church. Remember in the Old Testament, where did the church come from? The 12 tribes of Israel. And in the New Testament, where did the church start? With the 12 disciples or 12 apostles. So this woman, and, and often in the Bible, the church is described as a female, even sometimes called the bride of Christ. So it's very, very likely, and we'll see why even more as we go on, that she is a representation of the church. And it says she's pregnant, which means that she's about to give birth to a child. And, and who is that going to be? We'll talk about in just a moment. Uh, verse 3, an enormous red dragon. Then another sign appeared. So now, now John is there. He's in this vision. and It's, it's an ecstatic, supernatural vision. Another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. So this is actually later on in this, in this verse. It's explained explicitly who this dragon is, and we're told it's Satan. So now you have the woman, the church, and onto the scene in this war in heaven comes the devil. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. 
The, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. What does the devil want to do? And he's going to use his followers in heaven and on earth to make it happen. He does not want that child born. Can you imagine who that child might be? Coming out of the 12 tribes of Israel and leading into the 12 apostles, of course, that little child is the baby Jesus. And so Jesus comes out of the church and is, uh, we're going to see later, going to be a powerful warrior. And so the devil wants to nip this in the bud. Now, if you remember the Bible story from the Gospels, how does the devil try to accomplish nipping it in the bud? Herod. All of you remember your Christmas stories. Know that King Herod went and tried to kill all the babies Jesus' age in the little town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Now, God gave Jesus' mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, a, a warning, so they were able to escape, and Jesus survived. And Jesus survived all the attacks. Think about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And so now, this is a picture of that. What's, what's happening here is John's being reminded. Do you remember? Do you remember this story that Jesus probably told him many times about how Herod was out to get him. That's the worldly side of it. That's the in-time side of it. That's here in this planet what we could see. Herod coming after Jesus and taking the lives of all those babies. But let's pull back the veil again. Let's look at the battle in heaven. What, what provoked all that? That wasn't just Herod. That was the devil, Satan, not wanting the Savior to stay alive and save people. Next, you have this male child, and as we read on, we're told, verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. This will be a powerful king, the king of kings and lord of lords. That's Jesus. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. So now the, the author like speeds through the life of Jesus. And in one sentence he says, God protected him all through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And now, John, you remember where he is. He's ascended into heaven. And he's at the right hand of God because he's been taken up by God to sit at his right hand. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So the church, after Jesus' ascension, after Jesus is snatched up into heaven, this woman who represents the church is going to be protected for 1,260 days. I know this is a lot of detail. But you will find that number frequently throughout the book of Revelation, and it represents all the time from Jesus' ascension to when he comes back. And sometimes it's called a time, times, and half a time, 
which represents three and a half years, and if you do the, the math, 1,260 days is roughly three and a half years. Sometimes it's called 42 months. Again, do the math. Three years is 36 plus 42, three and a half years. And always that combination, whether it said 1,260 days, whether it said uh, 42 months, however it said, it always represents that the church, you, right now, are under God's protection until Christ comes again. Now I want you to think back to the very first example I used. Here's where it gets important. All the things that you have to do every day. Maybe it's ride the CTA. Maybe it's drive your car with your children in it. Whatever it might be, how do you get behind the wheel of your car? How do you go down to the New Lenox station, if that's your closest station, so you can ride the Rock Island line and get in and then climb onto the CTA? Do you do it with constant fear in your heart? Are, are we constantly shaking in our boots because we know how powerful these people are who sometimes provoke the senseless violence? Or do we walk about with the armor of God, as we read earlier, and with the confidence that we are under God's protection? Does that mean that nothing bad can ever happen to us? No. But it does mean that the eventual outcome of everything that happens to a member of the church, you, sometimes you're called a child of God, sometimes in here you're going to be called a saint. Do you know what a saint is? A saint is not someone who's extra holy and gets a good pat on the back from the Pope and a reward that he, this person was amazing in his faith life. That's not what a saint is. A saint is someone who has made, been made, made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of you is a saint. Can we, can we just pause? Because I know I'm diving into a lot of detail, but I think it's important for there to be a little bit of participation today. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I am a saint. Now I want you to look at them again and say, you are a saint. And what are all of us then? We are all? Yeah, let's say that a little bit louder. Is there anybody in the room? We are all? One more time. We are all? Saints. Exactly. You're a saint. I'm a saint. Not because we're all that but because Jesus is all that, we have been cleansed of all of our sins, and we are holy. That is what we are. So, now the final character that's identified is in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, meaning the devil, was not strong enough, and they lost their places in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, meaning he loses this big war, this big battle. 
that ancient serpent called the devil. You see, he's very much clearly identified. The dragon is the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, this starts with Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Michael is a Hebrew name, and it means who is like God. And in almost every instance, Michael is called an archangel, the chief of angels. Now, who is the chief of angels? The real chief of angels. And who is like God other than Jesus? This is, Michael is actually a picture of Jesus, not as a little innocent baby born and under danger, but now this is Jesus, the ruler of angels, the ruler of God's forces, who is fighting against Satan and who is defeating Satan. So here's what I want you to write in. And, and now I think we get a clear picture of what this very fantastic, like weird uh, description of Revelation 12 is saying. So write this down first. The characters of the war in heaven are the church under attack, Satan attacking, and Jesus, our leader of angel armies, our defender. And we see Jesus in this section of Revelation 12, both as a child, but also as Michael who is like God. He is the Son of God and the ruler of angels. So do you get it now? I mean, I just want to tie it all together. Here's what this is saying. That the church is here in the world and, and it is under attack by this character named Satan. This is, this is not just a description uh, of, of facts outside of us. You are the church. What does God want you to expect, child of God, saint? God wants you to expect, as Paul writes very plainly in Ephesians 6, which we read earlier, you better put on your armor, warrior. Today's Father's Day. And if there is one thing I would recommend to every father in this room, and then I would add every mother too, you are a warrior. Yes, you're a child of God, adopted by God through Christ. Yes, you are a saint, perfect and holy in the sight of God. That's the beautiful gospel. But at one and the same time, you are a warrior. Can you imagine the people in Ukraine right now? How long has that war been going on? Three months, four months? By now, I'm guessing that most of them have gotten used to the air raid sirens, to the incoming missile blare, and, and they know what to do. But can you imagine the very first days? If you remember the news reports of the very first days, they were, they were saying before the war actually started, life was so normal that people were still sitting in cafes despite the fact that the Russians were saying, we're coming in and not just saying it, but we're amassing huge armies on their border. And what are they doing? 
enjoying their cup of coffee at the local cafe. They've had to come to terms with reality, haven't they? And that's a difficult process. And that is the process that God, through these visions, is leading John through. He's basically saying to John and saying, pass this on to the churches of your day. Come on into reality. Yes, you're children of God. Yes, you're fully, freely, fully and freely forgiven. Yes, you're a saint. And there is a war going on. So be prepared also to fight battles, to need your armor every day, to expect life to be difficult, to not need always to ask why. Why this senseless violence? But to simply say because Satan hates every person and wants them to spend an eternity in hell with him. And he is fighting and clawing to make that happen with you, with me, with the whole world. That's the bad news. Thank goodness we're past it. In our songs today, you already heard the outcome, the beautiful outcome. And I want, want to read you a quote. I've, I've shared with you several times, one of my favorite professors when I was at the seminary was a guy named Sigbert Becker. So we're going to talk about the outcome of the war in heaven. And to understand what that outcome is, it, the slide went past you quickly because they're trying to keep up with me and I'm meandering all over the place. So this is what we're talking about now, the outcome of the war in heaven. And by the way, did I give you? Yes, I gave you the answer to that one. So now let's go to that quote. Thanks, guys. This is my professor. This is what he says. The book of Revelation was written to bring consolation and hope. To the church in the face of great trials and persecutions. In our day when the holy city, meaning the church, is trodden under the feet of the Gentiles, meaning unbelievers, when heathen have risen to positions of prominence in the church, when those who hold faithfully to the truths of holy scripture are read out of the church, meaning kicked out of the church, as men lacking the spirit of Christ. Why? Because they hold faithfully to the truths of the Bible. Next slide. When unbelief reigns supreme under the guise of faith, when denial of the truth puts on a pretense of concern for and loyalty to the truth, he says we make a great mistake if we ignore the book of Revelation when all this is happening. It's also a part of God's inspired word, this book. And as such, it was written for our learning that also from its pages, the children of God may gather hope. I want you to look at that. I wrote down the year that he wrote that. Now, most of us, when we think about the 50s, we think that was the golden age of the church compared to today. But one of the reasons I loved this brilliant man was he could, he could practically see what was coming just by being a good observer of life in the world. And he saw all of this coming. He saw all of it in seed form in what we would call the golden age of the church in America. He saw where we were headed, and boy, have we headed there in spades by the 2020s. And so he's saying... 
we need something to give us hope. And hope is Revelation 12.9. Take a look at what this says. The great dragon was hurled down. So the battle ensued. The war in heaven happened, but the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, meaning he did not win, he lost. How did he lose? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus' cross. Through the cross and the empty tomb, Satan was defeated. Yes, he can still create some havoc because he's been hurled down and he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Let me explain this. The, the greatest example of this I think I've, I've ever encountered is what happened in World War II. How many of you are familiar with what happened in World War II at the end of the war in the Pacific? Did you know that there were Japanese soldiers who held out on the Pacific Islands? They were exiled to those islands. Most of them were living in caves or hidden amongst the jungle, but they were still alive, and when they got a chance, they did not want to admit defeat. For almost 30 years, these men continued to fight from the end of the war in 1945 until 1974, they continued to hold out and fight wherever they could the Second World War. I wasn't even born when the Second World War officially ended. I was graduating from high school when the holdout of the last guy ended. That's how long. Why am I telling you that story? Because that's an illustration of what the devil is doing. He's been defeated. The war is really over. But God has exiled him down to this earth, and what he wants to do now is attack where he can. And that means you and me. To try to capture as many of us as he still can from his Pacific Islands jungle home to try to take us down with him. But we must always remember the victory is already won. Will you write this down? The outcome of the war in heaven is victory over Satan by Jesus and his forces of good. So you might ask, what about us now? Do we have protection since he's been hurled down and we're with him on this Pacific Island stronghold that he's in, this earth? Well, God says in these verses that we are still the victors. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, that's the devil, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now verse 11. Here's the important verse. They triumphed over him, meaning we triumph over the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, by God's word. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So do you hear that you get both a victory cry, 
but also a caution that the devil has not yet, the remnant of his forces has not yet been fully contained. You can expect his attacks. And so put on that armor all the time. How do we see that in our world today? All over the place. All over the place. Here, here's, I want to show you a slide. How many of you are familiar with Harvard University? Founded in the 1600s, do you know what the original purpose of Harvard University was? To train preachers of the gospel. That was its original purpose in the 1600s. Here's the original, here's the original seal of Harvard University. Veritas. Anybody know what that means? Truth. In Christ and for the church. Or truth could mean for Christ and for the church. That's the original motto of Harvard University. Truth for Christ and for the church. If you look at the motto now, the 2020, the 2020 seal that would be printed on every diploma and so, so forth, what do you think it says? What do you think of this is left? What's left is veritas, truth. And there's an interesting little anecdote. They say that these three books, this one was originally turned upside down, face down. And the idea of the symbolism there was you find truth for Christ and the church in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and be careful about this last book here. Turn it upside down because it represents human wisdom. And there is a limit to human wisdom. That's the original Harvard. And now Christians are sometimes finding themselves sending their diplomas back because they can't abide any longer this school that started like this and has become what it is today. Is the devil still attacking? He is very much still attacking. And so... We need to be careful that we examine everything with an eye toward the attacks of the devil are still real, but this is also the bottom line truth. Write it down. The end result of the war in heaven is your triumph, the triumph of all the saints. So here's, here's my suggested next step for you today. Live courageously. Be a warrior. Since it's Father's Day, especially men, lead your homes courageously, in truth, for Christ and for the church. Be the Harvard of the 1600s in your own home. And as it says in the next step, I will live courageously in Christ but always remain vigilant of Satan's ability to attack my faith and put on that armor every day so that I'm protected. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your veritas, your truth, the truth of the word of God that saves and protects us. Lord, we know that there aren't always worldly or earthly reasons behind the violence and the attacks and the war that we see against the church, against us, just against life in general. 
It is truly senseless, this violence. But when we peer behind the veil, we know that this is always part of the spiritual war that's going on with you. The hatred of Satan against you and all your believers. Help us to see that and to protect ourselves against it through the power of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join me in confessing our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Just a, a few quick uh, moments to point out some some announcements to you, some family matters to you. First of all, if you're a guest today, I want to warmly welcome you. Make sure you fill out that connection card and put it in the offering basket as it passes by, or if we don't get the offering basket to pass by, then in that plate uh, outside the doors. Um, just a couple things coming up with us is uh, I want to highlight the opportunity to serve on our tech team. You'll see the announcement there. Our big summer outreach soccer camp is coming up on July 11th, and then a lot of great things going on for our teens over the summer, so pay attention to those. If you guys are ready to bring the offering plates down, please do so. All right, while they're uh, bringing us the offering, I am going to ask you to bow your head in prayer with me. We have some prayer requests from the, com the connection cards in past weeks. Lord God, we, we ask you over the summer to, to be with us. Help, help our dads be great, courageous dads. Uh, and, and help them to see the example you set by being a perfectly heavenly father to us. Lord, um, we ask that you would continue to show your providence throughout the world as all these violent things do happen in our world, creating hunger and poverty and death. Lord, you can guard and protect us against those things. Lord, we also pray for Lori Lorig, uh, that you would show your powerful presence and compassion to her, the passing of her husband, Al that your unfailing love would sustain her, that you would continue to bring healing and recovery to Loretta, that you would also heal and provide medical solutions to Lorenzo, that you would grant healing and recovery to, to Don, that you would walk with Petey and help him break the chains of addictions, that you would be with Amanda's dad for continued strength and peace by your spirit, uh, for Diane, for Hannah's dad, for Cheryl and for Rebecca, all of them continuing to face uh, struggles and difficulties with health, we just press and ask you, Lord, for continued recovery. And all of these prayers, Lord, we lift up to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Join with me as uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer now.
And our worship leaders, if you want to come forward during the Lord's Prayer, that would be great. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.